In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make the time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. And during this week of Easter, we've been going through the sixth chapter of St. John, the Discourse on the Bread of Life, and it culminates with those decisions made by many people. And many cases, some of the saddest words we hear in the Bible and in other cases, 12 at least, very encouraging words. Of course, the, these words of our Lord about being the bread of life, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, are, well, it's a hard saying, as, as many had said. And Jesus affirms it. Oh, yes, this is, the way it's, this is the way it is. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. And the discourse continues, and the group is befuddled in a way. And then the decision has to be made. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Great profession of faith on the part of Peter, speaking collectively for the twelve. And certainly while we pray with this chapter 6 of St. John, we can certainly Look to our Lord in the Eucharist. Lord, thank you for your presence here in the tabernacle. John chapter 6 certainly encourages our, our faith, I hope, our appreciation for the bread of life and for the sacrament of the Eucharist. And we also see, of course, a personal responsibility for one's answer. But I think there's a collective element as well. We'll consider that in our meditation tonight here in Manhattan. The denial of many disciples. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. And the affirmation, the act of faith, and the part of the twelve. So there is a collective element here. And if we put ourselves into the scene, just that's just the way life goes a bit, doesn't it? Uh, many of his disciples drew back. Well, maybe there were a few who were a bit more vocal about these, these crazy words of Jesus. And by the, they're disciples. They, they've been following him. 
You've probably seen some, you know, some signs or heard him preach with authority. It's not exactly, you don't get the sense that they're out to get him. They want to follow him. And yet, many drew back and no longer went with him. How many of those might have been a bit on the fence? Were willing to give Jesus a, a chance? But they saw, I don't perhaps these vocal ones, or a big cluster of the groups, <sighs> enough of this. I'm out of here. And maybe that's what sent them away as well. A little bit of groupthink, perhaps. Peer pressure. Now, of course, every, each person is responsible for his personal decision. But there, the, there is an effect that, that those around us have on us. And it could be for the good or for the bad. I mean, Jesus turns to the 12 and says, will you also go away? He's, he's talking to the group, his followers, his, his closest you know, team, if you will. And, and Peter answers, a bit of a sign of Peter's authority here, but he's speaking for the 12. And they, they do consent to Peter's words by being there. It's not as if Peter made these words of faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He said that, and it's not as if, okay, eight of them, well, no, not me, though. Speak for yourself, Peter. No, there's a, there's a, you get the sense that there's, they were encouraged by Peter's words. They were there. They stayed. Now, of course, later on, Judas Iscariot will betray him. But in this moment, I think it's fair to say that the other apostles were a bit emboldened by Peter's affirmation of our Lord. And that's a lesson for us. How often have we heard, the, no one gets saved alone, or no one goes to hell alone. We're in this together. Our lives do interconnect with others. Yes, indeed, our lives make a difference. And we don't have to investigate too much to see that happening, again, either for the good or for the bad. Now, later on, at our Lord's trial, how many of those in the Sanhedrin perhaps thought, well, maybe this is, maybe this is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, that I've been waiting for. But for whatever reason, cowardice perhaps, okay, let's look. I'm going to let this happen. I'm just one of the, the group here, one of the mass that will allow Jesus to be tried unjustly and, and, and tortured and crucified. And on the, you know, on the positive side, we see the early church. You certainly get the sense that they, they needed each other. They were helped by each other. It wasn't just a personal faith. Indeed, again, yes, Lord, thank you for coming to me personally. Of course, Jesus, we're not uh, just a, a big mass of humanity. No, we, we all have our personality and our soul. And, and Jesus you know, comes to each one of us personally, indeed. 
but within the context of, we could say, of the church. When Jesus said, when you pray, in other words, he said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How should we pray? When you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven. The theologians have made a point of that. It's an important beginning to that prayer. Our Father. Not my Father. When we pray, we say our Father. Already, just to, to believe in Jesus already puts us into a family. Into a community. No man is an island. And so, again, we see in the early church how well, in the Acts of the Apostles, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's a family here. There's a, there's a church. It's a group. It's a, Jesus isn't uh, collecting little individual souls, some sort of random constellation of people. No, it's just they come together and they support each other. They offer their gifts, their goods. St. Paul is so pleased with the Philippians who are so generous in helping other churches who are in need. That's the way we have to live in, in, in the church. Lord, help us to be a living stone in the church. Help us to, yes, allow our own our lives to be part of this great structure that you want to that you want to build up. Sinners that we are, that the Lord can do wonders if we allow Him to. Like like Pope Francis said in his Easter vigil homily about being. Well, we all have rubble in our hearts. We shouldn't be surprised to find that we have broken stones. Let the Lord take take those. He can do. He's the master builder. He can do. If we're humble, if we allow him, he he can do wonders. And it's not that he just again focuses on each one of us and can you make yourself the man that you ought to be. And there's these living stones of the church. And again, rubble for but. He turns them into living stones, which build a structure, not just random stones, maybe forming a pretty pattern on the ground, but no, we have to build. And so we are called to uh, communion, to be church, to be a member in the mystical body of Christ. Some people reject that. There's a certain independent stream of thought. And I can do it on my own. I, I, I can form my own religion. Yes, I love Jesus, and I'll, I'll do it on my own. Well, we just don't see that happening in the history of the church. It, very rarely, it seems, does God evangelize by sending angels through the clouds to people sitting alone. God. Again, of course, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the wonderful personal friendship that you give us. But look at St. Paul himself, Saul. Okay, Jesus approaches him. Jesus sees him on the way to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Even that, of course, we all know. That so many commentaries about that. Just the fact that our Lord said, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church, the members of the church. And Jesus, he's, you're persecuting me. But in any case, Saul is sent on to Damascus. And there, the Lord says, okay, you find Ananias. I, I, I don't know how many high school Catholic, Catholic high school students could name. Who was who the one who helped Saul become Paul and get the scales off of his eyes? And hopefully a lot, but I don't know. He's not, Ananias is not that famous, but he's the one who the Lord used as an instrument to help Saul become the great apostle, to become part of the church. And maybe the Lord is counting on, well, he is for sure, counting on you and me to help people draw close to the church. That's the way God tends to do things. St. Josemir called it the apostle of friendship and confidence. We don't get, we don't get salvation in a void. It's just people, real, real people, starting with the apostles, who were given authority, the pillars of the church, to watch over the sacraments and the structure, the hierarchy of the church. Everyone is called to holiness, and everyone is of equal importance. Every soul has the same value, but they're... St. Paul points out there are different roles that each person carries out within the church. And Jesus said to the apostles, he who receives you receives me. Do we take the Bible seriously or not? I mean, do we take the Lord's words seriously or not? And so if the Lord has said, he who receives you receives me, well, we, we should receive the words of the apostles and their successors. The very night of the resurrection, our Lord appeared to them in the upper room. Peace be with you. He breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they shall be forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain, they shall be retained. It's Jesus speaking. We have it. Do we take the Bible seriously or not? If we do, we should heed the words of those apostles who received those words, that mandate, to help us deal with sin. Ramona Guardini commenting on these words of our Lord, he who receives you receives me, talking to the apostles. He who listens attentively to the apostles and enters with him in the spirit of the good news is reached by Christ. Jesus can neither be proven by concepts nor recognized by airy experiences. What he is can only be conveyed by his message. For he is not an idea, but history. Indeed, Jesus, you are history. He's in our history, the incarnation. We've been considering the incarnation these days. The sacred humanity of Christ, Jesus who walked upon this earth, Jesus who spoke, who, who taught, who healed, who forgave, who had meals with people. That Jesus is history. And we have to pay attention to that Jesus who spoke to us. And yes, his word is divine. And I have, if I want to be 
close to Jesus, if I, I have no right to create my own little religion for myself. And the devil will tempt us. Well, actually, the church has got it wrong on this. Or you can make an exception for yourself on this one. Give yourself a pass. Oh, no, Lord, well, help us to be humble. And, and isn't that what we see in the gospel? Those who come to the Lord are very humble. Those who are received into the heart of Christ, and he wants everyone. God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But he doesn't force it. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Yes, Jesus loves everyone. Jesus had meals with the sinners, the publicans. But he also pointed out to some people that they were like whitewashed tombs. That's not a very nice thing to say to someone in their religious experience. Or, or, or they're hypocrites. It's not nice to call someone a hypocrite, but Jesus did. Herod, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even speak to Herod when he's brought there during his trial. He doesn't even give him the, the dignity of a word coming from his mouth. So Jesus, you know, he's, he wants people to be saved. But he doesn't force them. If, if there's no open heart, if there's no humility, he won't force it. And part of our humility will be to listen to the teachings of the church, to realize that we don't have all the answers. And that, yes, that Jesus counts on me, of course, to, to be part of this, uh, this wonderful family, like we see in the, the Acts of the Apostles, the early Christians, how they what did the pagans say about the early Christians? See how they love one another. And Lord, that's the way I want to live. And I want to be part of these, uh, I don't know, these, these groups, I guess, friendships. Uh, yes, we, we, we also live in history. We're not an idea. We have real people. Those of here, those of here, here in New York City. I mean, those are the people we're around. We're, we're not hanging around people in Austin, Texas, or Butte, Montana, which they're not around us. So who, who am I dealing with right now, right here, in a typical week? And are they... Yeah, it might sound a little bit egotistical or self-centered a bit, but it is fair. I think we should ask, are they helping me be the best version of myself? To quote Matthew Kelly. Because that's what we want. And, and God has an idea for each one of us to be the best version of ourselves. Well, it's good to think about that. Are the, the people I hang around with, my circle of friends, are they helping me to be the best version of myself? Now, someone was telling me about a, a, a priest giving a homily just recently, talking about friends and groups and and some, well, he was pointing out that a lot, there's a lot of um, lack of church going. Okay, the statistics show. And he said, "Well, we, if if people around us, if the people around one's uh, life, their, their work, their gatherings, their friendships, if there's no one going to church, it's, it's not surprising that that won't be going him or herself." I think I, the priest said, so they told me that he given the example, if you're hanging around a bunch of drug users, you might end up using drugs. You know, that, that. So am I, am I surrounding myself with people 
who will help me try to be a saint, to be the best version of myself. And again, that might sound a bit elitist or self, but no. Because precisely by getting that support, and we see it in Scripture, we see the apostles. I mean, Jesus gathered 12 specific men around him to start his church. And there are others, certainly humanly speaking, much more you know, capable. These are fishermen. A task collector, but Jesus chose specific people. They, they, those were the ones, and so it's not being elitist to say, "Okay, I'm going to try to." I, I want to be surrounded by you know, friends or family members who will help me in my effort to love God more, and then I can go out and yes, help others to, to do the same. Precisely by getting that support of a good you know, group of friends. I'll be more effective with everyone in my life. And of course, we should have all kinds of people in our lives. And so, yes, we are Catholic after all, right? Universal. We want to touch everyone in our life. Just like God, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I want that too. But I can't give what I don't have. And we get so much from good friends. Again, we just see that in the history of the church. Say... Teresa Benedict of the Cross, Carmelite nun, she, Jewish girl, we know her story, Edith Stein, born in 1892, German, Jewish family, obviously very smart, philosopher, enters university life, which was unusual for a woman at that time. Her parents even objected. Well, at a certain point, she, when she's 30 years old, she gets baptized. 1942, arrested, deported, will suffer martyrdom in Auschwitz. 1998, canonized. Well, how did that happen? Well, one of her biographers points out it was her milieu of friends and work. During her university years in Göttingen, Stein encountered the vibrant Christian witness of the many believers, as well as converts, who took part in the phenomenological movement. From her beloved master, Edmund Husserl, to her mentor, Adolf Reinach, and his wife, Anna, her professor, Max Scheller, as well as her future godmother, Hedwig Conrad Martius, Stein's intellectual society was full of men and women whose personal witness would play a key role in her own formation. It wasn't an angel that came down from heaven and said, Edith, you got to be Catholic. you got to get baptized. No, it was friends. It, she happened to be, in, well, by God's providence, she was in a, a milieu of practicing Catholic. And that helped her to see the light. No. Would she have been baptized if, if uh, I don't know, she's some other group of, of I don't know, I don't know. Atheists? Maybe, maybe not. And yes, Lord, we want to reach everyone who, who doesn't know you. People who are much better than us. Atheists who are much kinder, more generous, and working than us. We want to reach them because we love them. But we can't give what we don't have. So let's... let's Benefit from again our, our friends and be, and, and be part of the solution, as they say. But that 
will, ha will only happen if we are really striving to be our best. To pray, to get to confession, to get to Mass, to, uh, to sanctify our work, to live little sacrifices, offer things up, to talk to people, to not, to not be afraid to speak charitably and boldly, like St. Peter and St. John there, and, and remember, they're in Jerusalem, they were trying to, they were, they were the Jewish leaders were trying to tell them to be quiet. You know, are, we gonna, are we going to obey God or men? So we, we cannot not speak about Jesus. Yeah, I, was, I was impressed about the story of this young woman who was killed in the Oklahoma City bombing back in 1995. Just recently passed the anniversary of that this week. Anyway, Julie Welch is her name, and she had a, quite an influence on her friends. I, she was, I think, just out of college. She went to Marquette and had... Uh, I think it might have been her first job there in Oklahoma City, a translator in that building, the Alfred Murray building. And you see a bit of the impact she had on people just her, at the funeral itself. One of her friends recounts her testimony, a friend named Aaron. During the funeral mass, the priest unexpectedly asked all the Marquette people to bring down the gifts. You have to understand the humor in this. One of the most rewarding things about our gaggle of friends is its diversity. Our group of people is made, up, is made up of people who are all very different. Some of us are strictly religious, usually Catholic. Some of us were recovering. Some practiced once in a while. Some were atheists. And some, like me, were moderate yet practicing Catholics. You can imagine the wave of looks we gave each other in the pew as the priest made his request. I'm not sure who it was who finally gave me the chalice, but I led this motley crew down the aisle. Angelically, we all genuflected at the same time. Only God could see the tarnish on our halos. It was a funny thing that we were all in church. Later, at the hotel, we remembered how Julie vowed to get us all in church. One way or the other, we knew she was going to do it. We never imagined it would be at her funeral. Well, you see, Julie had a wide variety of friends, but she kept her faith in that milieu, of, in that gaggle of friends. And, and people knew it. The same friend said... Losing Julie makes me think a lot about the people who are close to me. Julie and I drove each other nuts, but we had a lot of good times. I miss her. If I could speak to her now, I'd say, you drove me nuts, but I love you anyway. And, and Julie spoke about her faith. So that might drive people nuts a bit. But friendship, you know, the, the friendship is there. We can talk to friends. We should talk to friends. Jesus did. Jesus reached out to everyone. You know, there's a, a nice scene, perhaps you've heard of this series called The Chosen, about the life of Christ. And one of the early scenes is Mary Magdalene, right after her conversion, her, her, you know, Jesus has cast out the demons from her, and she's preparing for the first time, I guess in a long time, and maybe the first time ever, the Shabbat, 
and the meal, and, 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 and she just has a ragtag group of people, maybe about five or six people come to her meal, her Shabbat, and you can see a real friendship there, but they're, they're not the stellar you know, people of society. And she's a little bit nervous because she wants to make sure she gets everything right. And you know, But you can see, again, people start to arrive, you see the friendship, and then there's a knock on the door. And she opens the door, and there's Jesus. And she's just stunned. She's frozen in a way, and then I think he says, can I come in? And Of course, of course, because she recognized him, of course, as the one who had healed her. And they just have this, this wonderful rite, this, this meal. Indeed, Jesus, you, you'll be with us. In our friendships, in our group of friends, you'll be the one. You're the, you're the heart, you're the catalyst, you're everything. So let's uh, allow Jesus in, and yes, into our friendships, a group of friends, and, and yes, just be with Jesus and be with everyone, but also with friends who can help us along, because we want to, we want to be saints. We want to help a lot of people, and precisely by, yes, good friends, the Prelate of Opus Dei wrote a beautiful letter about friendship, it's pretty much all, all this idea here. Precisely through friendship, we can give glory to God. And we can help souls alone. All souls. Anyone who comes into my life, I can't be indifferent to that person. And, and well, like St. Paul, he, he had that zeal. I'll go in, I'll do anything. I'll, he, I think, he, paraphrasing, he said, I'll go to the very gates of hell to try to help a soul. But I won't go in. And so there are two. At the, you know, Okay, are these friendships helping me or not? If I'm hanging around with guys and time after time after time, it just sinks to the bottom. Well, I got to do something. I got to either lift them up or I got to take a break, clean up my own life a bit, get stronger, and then come back. But I got to—I can't just let that pattern continue. Like like those people who whom Jesus shared meals with—they they were touched by love. And they went out. Our Lord calls us to do the same. Our Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, will help us to be good friends so that we can help many people come to the knowledge of God, rejoice in the love that he wants to show them. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.